This is the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Prime Social Club and Inside Edge, with your hosts, Aaron Wilson and Sean Bajani. All right, welcome in. It's the Houston Football Show. I'm Sean Bajani from Sports Radio 610, joined as always by NFL insider Aaron Wilson, who covers the Texans for KPRC Local 2. A lot of stuff to get into this week as, uh, Aaron, I don't know what kind of week you expect it to be. I mean, it's underway. It's Tuesday, and we're about to roll in and hit the ground running tomorrow morning at practice, but it is obviously marking the return of Deshaun Watson week 13. He and a lot of people that I didn't expect or even think of, to be honest with you, Aaron, are going to reportedly be at NRG Stadium on Sunday. And that's, uh, I'm talking about a report I saw earlier this evening uh, from Tony Busby confirming that he, along with 10 women uh, accusers, are now planning to attend the game on Sunday. Are you hearing anything different, or can you share anything new in regards to that report? Uh, That's accurate. That's his plan. He is the plaintiff's attorney for the accusers, the female massage therapist that accused Sean Watson of sexual misconduct, and the reason why he was suspended for 11 games while not being charged with any crimes, and he's maintained his innocence publicly and also through his attorney, Rusty Harden. It's interesting because it's more of a backdrop to you have a football game, but there's more than a football game. A lot is going on here off the field, and that's the reason why there's so much curiosity about a team, one that's four and seven, the Browns, and the Texans were one, nine, and one. Otherwise, two losing teams, what's the interest level in the game? It's because of Deshaun Watson, and it's not just because he's a multidimensional quarterback that's been to three Pro Bowls. It's it would be dramatic enough if he had just asked to be traded because of his dissatisfaction with the franchise. He had lost confidence in them after signing his $156 million deal. Then, of course, unprecedented amount of accusations here in the Michu era uh, against a quarterback that prior to this had a very pristine public image known for good works in the community, charity, and no off-field problems. And, you know, he has settled those lawsuits. The Texans also settled lawsuits. Uh, they were named. Uh, they were accused of enabling and being aware of and helping Watson to, in essence, by non-disclosure agreement provided. It was actually a fairly blanket non-disclosure. The use of a Houstonian hotel membership, which he allegedly used the Houstonian for some of these encounters so we you know could go we could spend a whole hour on the on the legal but yes the backdrop is there could be protesters i don't know if he'll even see them as far as tony busby and the accusers i don't think he would have any visual contact with them or interaction he'll come in on a bus after the browns fly in likely to bush airport and then you know will he see a bunch of people holding signs or yelling. I kind of doubt it with the route they take in. He'll know that they're there if he's paying attention to articles or if other people are. Someone might tell him, hey, they're doing this. He's had plenty of face-to-face interactions with Tony Busby. 
He's been deposed by him multiple times. I don't think the fact that he's at the stadium is quite what, you know, Tony's very smart. Tony's staying in the news. So why did Tony do this? Why did he get in front of it? Why did he tell multiple outlets that he's going to be there and he's going to have a suite and some of the uh, accusers are going to be there? Well, it's, it's a, you know, it's kind of a flex and it's a way for him to troll Watson. They weren't able to keep him off the field or put him in jail, but you know, he missed some time and keep off the field, meaning the entire season, but yeah, he missed 11 games under that negotiated settlement. Initially it was just going to be six games and now he's back and how he handles all that is really the interesting part to me, Sean, how does he compartmentalize playing football and, you know, being back at ground zero Houston, Texas, where most of the alleged misconduct occurred. Yeah. And you know, so, I, I don't know. I, mean, I would imagine that's a lot of pressure, a lot of nerves, and he'll have to handle it. But he's one of those guys that obviously he's been dealing with this for a couple of years. And is he the most sympathetic figure to most? No, no, I don't think he is. I, I would say, though, you know, if they boo him, I mean, I would say, you know, all these things, I think they're, it just depends, you know, what's your perspective on it. I think everyone's mostly curious how does he play, right? Does he play very well? Does he look rusty like he did in the preseason? Yeah. And not going to retry the case on Sunday. The, you know, it is what it is. This is there's been a legal outcome. We I just recapped it. That's probably the you know biggest cliff notes I can give on the case. And we can go through all that if you like. Point being, how does he play? What does he say after the game? What does he say Wednesday tomorrow when he talks to reporters? I don't think he's going to really like get very emotional or very slow. I think he's going to point out too that he has a lot of friends and some still on this team. I do, for the Texan standpoint, which is what most of our listeners are here for, a lot of those guys haven't played with him. Some of those guys still like Deshaun and have friendships with him. And they'll compete on the field. It is definitely a story. It's a big deal, and it's the most relevant thing the Texans will be involved in other than their decision on coach and general manager and the big picture decisions this off season for quite some time. So yeah, the spotlight is on Houston, Texas and that energy stadium. And it's because of the return of Deshaun Watson. No question. The spotlight is on Houston, Texas. I don't think it's necessarily on the Houston Texans, which I kind of find interesting, you know, for the first time in a while, Aaron, the Texans are the least consequential part of the conversation this week in regards to Deshaun Watson, right? I mean, you know, I know Lovey even uh, alluded to it earlier this week when he spoke to us on Monday that, you know, he said this game, at least in terms of what he expects, is the quote-unquote final piece of this Watson uh, drama involving the organization. I mean, I, I fully agree with that. I mean, I think the pressure and the eyeballs are really on Deshaun Watson, and it really starts tomorrow when he takes the, the podium and uh, addresses the media for the first time. It's not just about, you know, him coming back to Houston Texans. This is also, too, this is the first real football that he's played since the preseason, and even then it was only just a few snaps. So this is really more about him than it is the Houston Texans. Would you agree? Right. I do agree with that. I think that's an excellent way to really underscore what's going on here, Sean. The fact is there's a lot of things going on, but for the Texans, you know, there's really not a lot that they can do. I mean, they are 
in a in a tough spot because they're kind of overmatched talent wise, right? You know, you're out there against Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Deshaun Watson, David Njoku. They have a good offensive line. They have Miles Garrett on the other side of the football. It's <laughs> difficult, right? There's Emerson. He's outstanding young cornerback. It's going to be a you know, tough game for them. It would behoove the Texans draft-wise. It wouldn't hurt them to win the game. They would still be in position for the top overall pick. Correct. And they can you know, affect the Browns' final record uh, because the, they also have the Browns' first-round pick. So – Winning, and that's the angle I sort of, sort of no dying angle I just thought of, it would really help them. Uh, yeah, to win yeah. I don't know if they can win the game, but it would help them if they could. Aha, uh-huh. yes. And we will we will get to a little bit more about the uh, specifics and uh, things that are going to go on between the lines uh, here just momentarily. Coming up next, though, uh, I want to get to uh, Lovey Smith and talk about just how close to the sun he's actually been flying these days. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Right now, I want to take a minute for our friends at Houston's longest standing poker club. It's Prime Social Poker Club. They're located at 7801 Westheimer. They get a long standing reputation for taking care of their uh, customers with class and quality. Uh, it's not just a poker room. Check it out. I mean, they've got a place to hang with the boys. They give you great meals, drinks. They've got a great bar, fully stocked, pool tables, all kinds of games throughout the venue. And, of course, they've got a dozen or so poker tables. And Prime Social Poker Club, they've got over 21,000 members now. And you can become one today. The lifetime membership is just $10. That's it, $10. Once you join up, you can take part in daily and nightly tournaments with buy-ins ranging from $60 to $5,000 and guaranteed prize money to boot with pots as high as $2 million. That's serious cash from Houston's best and first-class poker club. It's open daily 24-7. It only closes when you leave. And they've got free play, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. daily, happy hour every day from 4 until 9 o'clock at night. They're located at 7801 Westheimer. It's Prime Social Poker Club. So, Aaron, tell us – just how close you think to the sun Lovey Smith has been flying these days. You know, they had the Miami situation. Uh, the game in itself was was one debacle, but the press conference, it wasn't good. It was the second consecutive week that Smith had failed at the podium, I think. And following a dud against Washington, you know, the way that he and the Texans handled the quarterback change was laughable. As silly as it sounds, and I'll let you speak to this, of course, but I think Lovey Smith is in – is doing just about the only thing a guy in his position could do. It might not look good. It might not sound good. It might sound delusional at times. But for right. a guy in this position that's trying to keep every ounce of positivity in that locker room, I feel like he's doing the only thing that he can. Absolutely. You know, I think he's in a difficult position. Was he set up to succeed? That's a question. Did he ever have a roster where he could have been competitive? I think that's a fair question. I'm, I'm actually texting with a – general manager candidate in another city. uh, And he's asking me about this as we talk about the Texans job situation. Would they clean house? Can they get, if they've just fired two coaches in a row under Nick Casario, could they get a good head coaching candidate? Do they need to completely clean house? How culpable is everyone for this mess? And for the, the really the only opinion that matters is the McNair family. Where are they supposed to win? Were they expected to win? And when you think about that, it put it in perspective. As far as the podium stuff, and, I, and I'm in the media, and I'm just as good as anyone of, you know, trying to maintain my perspective and fairness when the coach is either being stubborn or a bit combative. How nasty was it? 
truthfully, compared to like Bill O'Brien at times, it wasn't that bad. It was tense by Lovey Smith standards. And I don't expect him to be a good loser. I think, you know, that's another thing that got, hasn't gotten – I'm not defending him, but I'm, I want to explain how I, what I think fully about his behavior mm-hmm. in the press conference. He's mad that they lost. <laughs> he doesn't like some of the questions. He doesn't like maybe some of the articles. He's got opinions about all that. He's a bit of a press critic. And you can tell. This is something that you know comes through sometimes with – you know, he's a little bit of sarcasm. He needles a little bit. Is he – Really, really, really unprofessional? No. No, I, I wouldn't say that. Does he give you everything you want as a press guy? No. I don't think that's his goal. I think that he's there a little bit to be tough and to maintain something of a, I'm not going to get pushed around. I'm not going to hand out everything you guys want as far as the injury updates or the roster stuff. He's been pretty consistent. So what does that do? Subconsciously? There's resentment. It's very much that happens. That's human nature. So he's not making friends up there at the podium. Would you say? Oh, I absolutely don't think he's making friends, but I don't think he should. That's not his goal. No, he's not trying to do that. If he wanted to, he could be when he feels like it, which is when thing in better times, very charming, right? Very nice. Very good answers. Absolutely. It's all situational. So I would just say this, and I want to be absolutely fair. I don't think he has a very good team. I don't think that he's managed everything perfectly or handled every press situation or question perfectly. No coach does. I've covered Brian Billick. I've covered John Harbaugh. I've covered Bill O'Brien. I've covered Tom Coughlin. I've covered David Cully, and I'm covering Lovey Smith. All of them have their ups and downs with the media. Uh, David, probably not so much. He's just like every day, very genial, very pleasant. But yeah, John Harbaugh can be tough sometimes. John Harbaugh would also sort of apologize. Uh, he called me up before. He was upset with somebody I wrote, gave me a hard time. And then in the same call, we squashed it. Then he made a point to call me and said, hey, let's go to Aaron. Then he says, good question. I thought that Lovey was friendlier on Monday, and that was his way to kind of make up for it a little bit. Yes. And I also thought he was very friendly in the interactions today at my cause, my cleats. So I want to be absolutely fair. And give that perspective because I think a lot of it's becoming this whole like let's pile on. Love you, but you know, but but something that happened last week that I thought organizationally was a poor decision Mm -hmm. was, and I think I want to give people a little peek behind the curtain here. I knew on Wednesday, I knew on Tuesday was likely, and Monday, on Tuesday, no one had been told definitively. On Wednesday, the way that they told players. They informed the quarterbacks. They also sent Kyle Allen in to take the first team reps. The decision was absolutely made. It was actually made prior to Wednesday, but it was kept, you know, from the players. The players didn't know. Eventually it filtered out. I found out the NFL network found out. I reported it very definitively that they have benched him, that Kyle Allen's new QB one. So they stonewalled would not acknowledge it. And, I've been told that, you know, definitively, he's the quarterback. On Friday, after the Thanksgiving break, because, you know, that was a closed day. There was no practice. Lovey Smith announces it, and Kyle Allen doubles down and says, because that's what he's told to do, that we split reps, that, you know, we found out today. <clears throat> and that was just how they wanted to handle it. There was no competitive advantage, especially when you're one now 1-9-1. One, and one. Right. So that's kind of silly. And as far as just kind of being tough, that's just being kind of hard as some people call it. They 
it didn't change anything. And it, obviously the result didn't change the performance. Kyle's performance is similar to Davis's performance in terms of the production or lack thereof one touchdown, couple of picks, one really, really bad pick. And, you know, them having no running game. So nothing changed. It did not give them a spark and they gained no competitive advantage and they annoyed the Houston media. Correct. Correct. Okay. So, they mishandled the whole thing. If anyone thinks that Nick Casario doesn't have a hand on that right. and how he thinks they should operate or look at how Bill Belichick operates in New England about who's the quarterback, look at stuff with Mac Jones this year. And when is he back? When's he not back? All of those things. This is the New England Patriots way that is now alive and well in Houston, Texas. So that's their style. And I wouldn't expect anyone press to like it or probably the fans would rather have more transparency. They believe in it, and they aren't changing. So I wouldn't expect them to all of a sudden Monday announcements, Tuesday announcements, Wednesday announcements. If they bench Kenyon Green and have Justin McCray in, they're not going to tell you it'll go till probably Sunday. Sure, I would think. I don't even know if they will. My point being, any positional change, he doesn't think they should do that. And he was like that in the preseason. He wouldn't announce injuries. He gave a national reporter the concussion update on Kenyon and then uh, got challenged by it. He gets pretty angry when reporters ask him pointed questions. Mm-hmm. I don't expect that to change. I would say this though, is he consistent in how he operated at the university of Illinois and with the Chicago bears? Yes. He has not changed. He's 64 years old. It's not like all of a sudden there's a heel turn here. So yeah, I mean, I, I would say this, do the fans out there care about how the media is treated? I would say generally, are there good in- interactions and good exchanges with him? For 90% of the time, yes, there are. He answers our questions. We get our answers. I don't say this to defend him, but I want to try to keep some perspective and balance. You know, it's not like Coach Smith is just up there and you get nothing and, you know, it's over. The press conferences last for a while. You get answers. We get quotes. We write stories with them. So, but it's not supposed to be easy. I mean, this is what I expect in the NFL, at least. I don't expect to, you know, for it to be a handout. No, I feel like as a reporter, and you know, I pride myself on having some sources and some resources, Sean, to be able to get information. I can't if I'm if all I have is the press conference, then I've got nothing. I have to be able to get information some other way, and I can't expect just you know to only count on official announcements from Lovey Smith or whomever. So you have to do your job. And that's the thing. That's the challenge. But does it annoy a lot of the media? For sure. Especially if you, you know, need him to say it, you need it to be official. You got to have that. I would tell you this on Wednesday, I was completely unbothered because I was, I was sort of like bemused by it is my reaction personally. Again, I can't speak for all the media because I know that some of the media are you know very upset. I just kind of looked at it like, well, that's par for the course. I'm, I've got my story. I'm good. And then we even talked like about this on Wednesday, and I said, oh, you know, whatever. Can't not be phased. And the thing about it is, I think for anybody, maybe it's a little different from your opinion standpoint. I'm a reporter. Some of these guys, they're getting seriously opinionated and upset. And I got to think, what are you so upset about? The team was never supposed to be good. Right. They are what you thought they would be. Uh, to paraphrase Dennis Green, the late Dennis Green, and this is where you are. They're he's 
going to have the first pick, whether he's the coach or not, they are going to have the first pick, the Houston Texans, and they can draft a very talented football player, two very talented football players there in the first round and try to get better. I, you know, I would just say like anyone that thought there was one of these illusions that were going to be good, we're all wrong. I was wrong that they would win four or five. I thought, well, they won four last year. Maybe they're a little better. Maybe Davis Mills takes some leap. He didn't. He regressed. And I don't think he'd be any better or worse than Kyle Allen. So basically what they did was change for the sake of change. Yes. Nothing happened. It didn't work. It yes. wasn't how was that bad. The offense is that bad. Pep Hamilton's plays aren't working. Nothing's working. Aaron, uh, I, I want to continue on on some of these things that you're talking about uh, in the next segment. Um, and before we hear from our uh, uh, friends at Prime Social and Inside Edge, I, I do want to also tell people that, you know, coming up next, we're, we're going to get to, um, you know, what to anticipate, what to expect with the play on the field, particularly uh, from Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns standpoint. Uh, so we will get to that. But first, a moment uh, from our sponsors, Prime Social and Inside Edge. That's next. Come out and enjoy Houston's longest standing poker room with a stellar reputation for class and quality Prime Social Poker Club. At Prime, you will enjoy an upscale social environment, fully stocked bar, gourmet dining, pool tables, dozens of poker tables, and many other fun games throughout the venue. You can also join their over 21,000 members with a lifetime membership for only $10. What are you waiting for? Get into the game. Come join us at Prime Social Poker Club. Inside Edge was founded over 30 years ago as a data and analytics provider for Major League Baseball clubs. If you've seen the movie Moneyball, then you know Inside Edge. They were part of the data and analytics revolution in professional sports. Fans can now have access to the same insights and analytics used by pro teams for free at MyInsideEdge.com. My Inside Edge is a destination for sports bettors and daily fantasy players where they can find matchups, specific insights, and projections to help make informed betting and fantasy decisions. Again, that's MyInsideEdge.com. All right, back on the Houston Football Show, I'm Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani, and he is Aaron Wilson, NFL insider covering the Texans for KPRC Local 2. Uh, Aaron, there we could talk literally for hours about the couple of topics that we've broached just a half hour into this show in relation to Deshaun Watson and the inner workings and the plans, the idea, the vision, whatever you want to call it, um, on behalf of the Houston Texans, but you know, I, I did just want to make mention of, you know, something that you actually touched on. You said you were corresponding with a, a general manager candidate. Um, I, I, I think you said this evening or something like that from some, for somewhere in the NFL. He will remain nameless. But he, you said he was asking you what you thought of, you know, the Texan situation if you'd felt they could get a – good head coaching candidate in-house given their position. I think I'd want to know that answer from him if he's a prospective general manager. I'm sure you guys talked I'll, about the course. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, what he said. Obviously, this is anonymous, but he said, hard for me to believe anyone would want to take that gig with that setup like it is having fired two coaches in a matter of two years, meaning if they fire Lovey. 
Okay, but what does that's why he thinks they would have to clean house. Sure, but what's the value of having the the number one overall pick? And presumptively, if the Browns, you know, well, the thing about it is so okay, let's say that you're a head coaching candidate. I'll bring up another one, and this is this is more of a hypothetical. The Detroit Lions offense coordinator, Ben Johnson, will probably get head coaching interviews this year for his work with Jared Goff, which is getting some good reviews. Mm-hmm. I believe that the Denver Broncos defense coordinator, Ejo Vero, will get some interviews. I'm sure that Jonathan Gannon and Shane Steichen, the coordinators for the Philadelphia Eagles, will get interviews. So I'm just naming some people that are up and coming, right? Right. Okay. If you take this job and Nick is Nick Casario is hiring you, and you're going to work for the McNairs, and you know that they have fired their last two head coaches, and they've won, let's say they don't win another game. They've won five games in the past two seasons. And what are the expectations? How much time am I going to have? Am I going to have a lot of time to get this you know, new quarterback up to speed? Who knows that they make the right pick? Let's say it's you know the first pick. Let's say it's Bryce Young. What if Bryce Young <laughs> isn't good enough? It fails. Am I the coach for three years if we try to get it right with someone else? So these are all valid questions. So when you're trying to get someone, if that's maybe not a retread, do you think they're getting Sean Payton and Sean's going to be working for Nick? Or do you think that Sean wants to be the boss or have almost equal power to the general manager? I've heard that he wants the Chargers job if Brandon Staley gets fired. Mm-hmm. Would the Texans look at Brandon Staley? Probably so. Under Nick, he had a good interview last time. Jonathan Gannon, who got close last time. But you have to consider what has happened, and their agents are going to consider what's happened, and they're going to have to make decisions about the Texans' job. It's attractive, but there's some problems with the job too, as I'm outlining. It's not just about salary cap space and having the first pick and Nick Casario having a good reputation as someone that can draft and has made some – you know, solid moves like Jerry Hughes and Steven Nelson. That may not be enough for some people if they have other options. Yeah. No, Kevin O'Con- I hear people talk about Kevin O'Connell, Kevin O'Connell. Kevin O'Connell's agents and the Texans sort of hid his first interview. Then he did another one. That one got out there. He was never really – he's lukewarm the whole time. He would have been a great candidate. Mm-hmm. Could Kevin O'Connell have done anything better with this team? I believe no. I believe it's a resounding no that he could not have won with this roster. I don't know who could win with this roster. So they almost got Josh McCown. That eventually got stopped by Cal McNair, Nick Casario. They settled for Lovey Smith after kind of a convoluted job search. All history, all true. Now you're trying to turn the page. What can you get? And if you're the Texans and you are drafting first, are Lovey Smith and Pep Hamilton the guys that you want to work with the young quarterback? No. And probably not. I mean, you want something long term. You don't want to be like the Jaguars where you had Urban Meyer with Trevor Lawrence, not comparing them to Urban Meyer, just saying the actual fact that they had to change after one year and now they're resetting with Doug Peterson and trying to get him going in a better direction. Right. Uh, which is still up and down because I think he didn't doesn't process very fast, but you know, that's kind of who he is as a quarterback more so than the commentary on Urban Meyer, Doug Peterson. I think it's better with Peterson, but it's still, he's not, not, not there yet. Point being, ideally you have guys that are going to be there to guide him, take him 
to the next step and develop him as a quarterback. And that's what you hope for. Yeah. That's what you hope for with, you know, like a Peyton Manning situation, like, like, like kind of ancient history, but you know, you look for someone you can grow with. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't have broken <laughs> it down better myself, Aaron. Uh, good stuff. All right. So let's get to the game on the field between the lines Sunday, week 13 Browns, Texans. Look, this is going to be Kyle Allen's second game started since 2020. Um, Lovey Smith expected there to be a little bit of rust on Kyle Allen. There certainly was a lot of it in the first half on everybody. It's less about having a game under his belt at this point, I think, and more about guys like Miles Garrett, who's been an absolute beast over the course of the last two months for them. Seven sacks, I think, for him in the last five or six games alone against this Texans offensive line, which has allowed 33 sacks on the season, 20 over the course of the last month alone. I mean, I'm sure you're like me and anticipating another long afternoon for Allen in this run game, right? Right. When I think about the matchup and you know, they're fairly stout and they have some athletic linebackers, they have some people that can stop the run. They're not great at it, but I think they're athletic enough that they can get in the backfield. There's some problems there. They're not as good in the middle as these other teams that they've been facing. They've been facing some of the best interior linemen and there's nowhere to run, and as Damian Pierce told us in the locker room Sunday, there's seven in the box. And when there's seven in the box, I think he was averaging about a yard. Yeah. And the other time that he didn't have, I think he got four yards. So people figured out, and he said it's a copycat defensive league. Everybody's doing the same thing. They crowd it, they beat the blocks, and they tackle him, and he has nowhere to run. I don't know what he could do. They could try, as he said, we've got to find some counters, some different techniques, different strategies. you got to change it up, or they're going to keep stopping it. And some of that's got to be the play calling, and some of that's going to be these guys got to block better. And then, you know, Damian, I think he's doing all he can. I don't think he's perfect, but I think he's certainly shown he has a lot of talent. And I don't know what else he can do, Sean. But if they can't run, and that's what they want to be, they can't do anything. And then almost everything they throw is behind the line of scrimmage or short. It's interesting to watch Miami, how they can take their time, how they can throw, how they can pepper the zone defense. Look how effective they were against cover two. 100%. I mean, that, and look, Kyle Davis Mills even spoke to how successful or the reason why he was successful against the cover two earlier this season. I can't remember what game it was. It might have been. Uh, it might have been the Jacksonville game or it could have been uh, San Diego when they had a really good second half in that one. And he was like, well, we face it every day in practice. I mean, it, it makes sense. However, you're, you're, you're supposed to be preparing, and there's a scout team out there to prepare you for the defense that you're going to see week in and week out. And not everybody, play, not everybody plays, you know, cover two, you know, to start a game. <laughs> you know, and it just it, – it, it's kind of – very fundamentally sound stuff that if you're the Houston Texans and you want to establish a run, well, make the defense think just for a millisecond, Aaron. And I don't think we're seeing that with fast pre-snap motion or counters or play action or just looking a safety off, pump fakes, whatever it is, there's all kinds of little things that you can do to create a little bit of doubt for a millisecond in an NFL defense. And I don't think we see that hardly ever from what the Texans do offensively. Absolutely. There's just 
There's very little misdirection. There's not a lot of subterfuge. You know, there was that two point play, and you're going inside run with a you know somewhat moderately sized back and Dario Gambalale. So mm. that's your play. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even look like they practiced a lot of two point plays, did it? No. Unprepared. You you know, I, Laramie Tunsil. Why would you do two like that? I, I don't know. And Laramie, I, I talked to Laramie about it. Laramie's like, I can't believe I dropped that, bro. And I was like, I know. I said, and he I said, did you catch one before? He says, yeah, at Ole Miss. I caught a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, and, he, and he's a good athlete. I think he is. But I mean, come on, he's, Aaron. I think, I think he's excited. <laughs> you know, something. Like, but. but, you know, that was almost worse than Wattcat. You know, I mean, I'd almost rather have had Oh, that. the Chiefs playoff game? Yeah, I've almost forgotten about that. That was, <laughs> that was terrible. Um, that was one of the worst plays in the whole Bill O'Brien era. Yes. And, you know, so far this year, we've had a halfback pass from Rex Burkhead. Or it could have been from Damian Pierce. I can't really remember who, who threw that ball. Uh, I think it's Burkhead. Was it Burkhead? Yeah, it, it would yeah. have to be him. And then we've thrown a ball to Laramie Tunsil this season. I mean sure. – <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing. It's, it's that kind of year, right? It is. Hey, we've got one segment left uh, before we get to it. Uh, I'm going to ask you, you know, so get get ready. You got two minutes to prepare for this. Okay. What do you want to hear from Deshaun Watson this week and the top five questions that you would have for him? And they're questions that you would ask him only if you knew for certain that you would get the truth and response. Okay. So think about that. And then I want to talk about our friends at Inside Edge. Uh, here on the Houston Football Show, we like to use insights generated by team at Inside Edge. And those insights have been a real game changer in analysis. Over 30 years ago is when they were founded as a data and analytics provider for Major League Baseball clubs. If you saw the movie Moneyball, you know Inside Edge. That's what we're looking at here. And now fans can access the same insights and analytics used by professional teams for absolutely free at MyInsideEdge.com. That's MyInsideEdge.com. It's a destination for sports bettors, fantasy players, where you can find matchup-specific insights and projections to help make informed betting and fantasy decisions. And who doesn't want that? It's awesome. It's free. And the best part here is this five-star game pick package they offer. During the 2021-22 NFL season, they had a 71% success rate on it. They went 34-14 and against the spread. I mean, that's fantastic. That's unheard of. You can subscribe today. Use the code HOUSTON. It's in all caps, HOUSTON and you'll get 10% off of your subscription. It's my inside edge. All right, so your top five questions, Aaron, that you would have for Deshaun Watson this week. He'll take the podium tomorrow. You obviously won't have an opportunity to ask him some questions, but uh, I've got some that I would like to know. Do you have any that come to the top of your mind? Well, I would would say I understand, and some of this is from my own perspective, uh, and I have sort of a complicated history with this story, uh, which I'm sure you're aware of. I feel like I know what I know and have some understanding. I think the why would fascinate me, but I don't think that he could ever really fully open up. And because of, one, the possible embarrassment, two, the legal repercussions, and the recommendations that he would follow from, you know, he's never going to, I think, truly bear his soul, open up. And I think it could be even viewed as performative if he was to give sort of a tearful apology. So if you're not, if you're saying that you didn't do it, but you're just settling because you needed to move on and you vaguely 
with, you know, there was some vague language that was approved by his legal team mm-hmm. when he did that preseason interview, which I think was the closest he came to kind of that. What I heard was the Browns wanting to try to do some spin with their in-house radio network and television network. So that's why he did that because they wanted, they thought that was important to have him do something before he went on the field in a Browns uniform in an actual game. Right. So Makes with sense. all that said, I mean, what would I hope for? What would I expect or two different things? I'd like to, you know, hear what are his emotions going back to Houston, Texas? I think that question will be asked. I think he'll answer it. I think he'll talk about, I had some good times there. I had some bad times there or whatever he says. I can't really predict his answer, Sean, and he'll hit the podium on Wednesday. I think he's going to say less. There's nothing to be gained from him from really opening a can of worms and discussing any of these alleged encounters, his side of the story. There's not much that can be said. He's already chosen to go the legal route, which is to spend millions of dollars on Rusty Harden and settle the settlements, lost the endorsements, the Beats by Dre, Nike, which all could come back. Uh, there's usually a second act. You know, Ray yeah. Lewis, I covered Ray. Ray had a second act. Ray became the Super Bowl MVP from accused murderer. Ray Rice is the only guy I covered that had a lot of off-field problems that was prominent, and I broke that story that never played again, and that was because of a video. But Jamal Lewis, and this isn't like maybe the most famous case, but it was one I covered. Federal cocaine conspiracy, pleads guilty, does jail time, federal jail time, goes to a halfway house, serves a short suspension right back on the field. We're in a different era now. Yeah, yeah. And so obviously the personal conduct policy has a little more teeth in it now. Yeah. I don't know what he can do. I mean, I think he's in a no-win situation. I think the only thing he can do is – don't have any more problems, which you know my understanding is he has not. He's complied with everything with the counseling, etc. He's with his girlfriend. She's living in Cleveland with him. Houston native, former Miss Teen Houston, Julia Mace. He's, you know, I think obviously he's had to make some changes to not, you know, have these lawsuits filed and filed and, and have new allegations against him. Is he still then, actively seeking uh, uh, psychological help? Is he still he's in therapy? required to comply with counseling and uh, mandatory treatment, which means mm-hmm. meeting with a counselor. Probably, obviously, that would be confidential, whatever they talk about. I don't think anyone's going to ask him. Like, They might ask him, how was counseling? Was that helpful? I think he'll have an answer ready for that. I think he'll be prepped by their PR guy, Peter Jean-Baptiste. I think he'll have some talking points. I think it'll be an interesting press conference. Yeah. I don't know how long it'll go. And I think at some point they'll want to talk about football too, the reporters and him. So that'll happen. I mean, he's not going to be up there for an hour. Yeah. I, mean, I think he's going to be up there for eight to 12 minutes or so. And then what will happen is they'll cut it off. And I think that there'll at least be some of those questions will be asked, but I, I don't expect anything really ultra detailed, Sean. I think what will happen is, and I think he'll be asked about his emotions after the game. What was it like? The best thing he can do for himself is to not have any other problems and to not let people see him sweat and to meaning, you know, don't, you know, don't freak out about the questions or show 
any type of uh, anxiety up there. And then if he plays well, right. If he plays well and they win games, it's a very forgiving country. He, there'll be some that will never ever accept him. There'll be many that only all they care about is, is he a good football player and they'll move on and they'll be like, Hey, the Browns fans will cheer for him. But it also forces a change in conversation too, to going from off the field stuff to back on the field, because what there's, what people are seeing, what he's doing on a field is, is, is playing well and is winning football. Games. I'm very, I'm very cynical, Sean. Mm-hmm. I would say that most fans do not care. They don't really want to know, are these great guys? They want to know, can they win? 100%. When they play. And I would tell you this, and and I would, I, I don't know what everyone does, but I have my impressions. And my impression of the Texans locker room, a lot of good guys, a lot of guys I, I actually, I really enjoy talking to and find to be really, really cool. And that do a lot of good works. I go to a lot of the charity things. I really enjoyed my interactions today with Chris Moore and Tavier Thomas and Kyle Allen and all these guys that we, uh, Steven Nelson, mm-hmm. we talk with. And we talk with them every week. And you get to know them, and they're they're uh, good guys. You interact with them some. And do you truly know anyone? No, I don't know. I mean, I'm not supposed to know everything. I, I know whatever's public. You know, right. if a guy's ever had a problem with the law or not, or no problems with the law. And, and I have my own, I, you know, whatever, like impression someone makes on me if I have a favorable impression. Lots of favorable impressions, right? But yes. Yes. What ultimately, why do people watch this game? They watch to see excellence. They watch to see winning, being a nice guy or being good at, you know, being good off the field, all the charity stuff. You know, cynically, yes, it all matters. But what matters more in, in this bottom line industry is being good at football. Right. Results. So Deshaun Watson accused of being a, you know, of creepy stuff. If he's a Pro Bowl, and he is, he's been a Pro Bowl quarterback three times. Guess what? There's no one on this roster other than Laramie Tunsil that's been to a Pro Bowl. So, you know, if you're the Texans fans, what if Deshaun Watson hadn't wanted to be traded, he'd been accused of all this stuff, and then he apologizes, he serves a suspension. Do you think they would have all turned on him? No. No. They would say, you know what, we forgive him. He's human. Uh, most of them would say, you know what, I don't like that, but I, I am I still going to be a fan? Answer is yes. So the morality play, I'm not so much into that. I Also, I won't pretend to know everything that happened. I would say there's more than ever got reported. I don't care to get into some of the things because I don't care to be canceled or, or anything like that, Sean. You know, I already had issue with the story. Sure. Uh, it's very complicated for me and very personal. I have some strong opinions. I'm going to keep to myself. That said – they are where they are. He's back. He's playing football. He's eligible to play. He's in compliance. He's got a right to play football and to make a living. And just like Tony Busby and the plaintiffs, uh, they have a right to you know, sit in the suite. I'm sure cameras will go on them. And I don't do I think it's that chaotic or that much of a circus. It just depends how anybody wants to portray it. Ultimately, I think there's gonna be a football game played, and he'll play through some rust. He'll also show some talent. I don't think it's like Lovey Smith said. It's like kind of like riding a bike, right? If right. You can play quarterback, you can play quarterback. He's a great quarterback. I think some of that greatness will show at some point. Whether it's Sunday, we're going to find out. But yeah, to me, it is a very nuanced, layered story. 
and we hit a lot of the angles. Some of them are legal, some of them are personal, some of them are football. And I don't know what the league is supposed to do. I mean, they they already punished him. I don't think that he's supposed to have some sort of scarlet letter. I think he's he is eligible to play. And so you have to treat him like any other football player going forward. But do I expect that? No. I mean, he's gonna there's gonna be some press you don't normally see. There's gonna be some people there looking for a sideshow, looking for the drama. And oh, I think you can't ignore all of that, but it's part of the story. It's not all of the story, in my opinion. But again, that every journalist can have a different opinion about any story, how they approach it, how they attack it. What it mostly is going to be written? I think it's going to be written, how does he play? And what does he say afterward? What's the reaction to him? What do people think about how he played? Uh, is there some sort of loud, raucous booze? You know, are there protesters? All of that will be covered. Well said, my friend. Uh, always you. good stuff, Aaron. Uh, fantastic breakdown. Love the conversation tonight. And uh, we'll do it all again next week. I appreciate you, my man. Appreciate you. All right. Uh, before we get you out of here, stick around from a message for our sponsors, especially Prime Social, uh, title sponsor of this program, also our partnership with Inside Edge. Had fun, everybody. Have a good one. Prime Social Poker Club opens daily at 10 a.m. and doesn't close until the last person leaves. Now, that's 24-7, 365 days a year, so you can always get your poker game on at Prime. Also, daily, free play starting at 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. with happy hour from 4 to 9 p.m. They have daily and nightly tournaments with buy-in starting as low as $60 and going as high as $5,000. Now, check this out. Guaranteed prize money as large as $2 million. What are you waiting for? Get in the game. Prime Social Poker Club here locally in Houston, 7801 Westheimer. We've told you about the endless insights at Inside Edge, but let us tell you about the real gold mine. They're five-star picks. And in the 2021 NFL season, Inside Edge went 34-14 and 14 against the spread for a success rate of 70.8. And now you have access to these five-star picks for only $20 per pick or get the deal of the lifetime. Every five-star pick for the entire year for only $149. Even better, our listeners get a discount of 10% on that access by using code HOUSTON. That's code HOUSTON. This has been the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Prime Social Poker Club and Inside Edge.